God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. That's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And I'm joined by the lovely Leonor Cravota. Hello, Leonor. Hello, Scott. And it, it, we're in our countdown to Thanksgiving. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, um, you have uh, been really busy uh, in the D.C. area, in, in Alexandria, uh, not only with uh, events that you've been doing, um, but also writing for a magazine, and you're in print yeah. uh, on one of the articles, but uh, you also have a, uh, some uh, other articles uh, that have been featured in magaz- uh, and on- the online uh, print. Yeah, so um, the, the article that was in print is uh, called Bright Star Green Light, an Enchanting Revisit of John Keats and F. Scott Fitzgerald. And so I, so that, that article came out in print in October, but it recently got posted on the website in November. So, so it's getting John new Keats life. and Fitzgerald? Yeah. So, okay, yeah. so tell us about that one. Right. So the article is based on a book by Jonathan Bate. And, ba- and essentially what it's about is he saw a parallel. He thought that the two writers had parallel lives. And um, so this is a this is a re- review of uh, his, of his of his book where he discussed, um, you know, the the um, similarities in their lives and in also the way they viewed art the way they um, dealt with their romantic relationships so you know I've and then I was very I benefited when the article got put in print that we have a wonderful artist that created these beautiful graphics so if you uh, are able to pick up a copy of the magazine or go to the website for the American uh, spectator you'll see What's those the web images address over there spectator.org Spectator.org, okay. And now, you my can favorite, search under my name. My favorite article that you did r- lately, well, then you did something recently for Thanksgiving. Right. Uh, tell us about that one, and then we want to get to, I think, the one I like the most, which it kind of t- t- touches on globalism. It's in, it's in French only. Uh, it's uh, written by Sarkozy, the former president of France, but we're going to get to that one afterward. Okay. Okay. Um, this next one is your Thanksgiving piece. Well, there's a Thanksgiving piece which isn't up yet. It's going up tomorrow. 
But basically, this is a lighter piece, and it talks about the cultural role of Thanksgiving in movies. And in the article, I pick out three movies. One is a dark movie. Uh, the second one is kind of a quirky independent film. And the third one is a perennial holiday classic. All having to do with what? All having a pivotal plot element taking place on Thanksgiving. So one movie is The Ice Storm from 1997. That's Oscar-winning Ang Lee's film. And it deals with the dysfunctional family set in 1973 New Canaan, Connecticut. It's called The Ice Storm. Okay. And that's got a great cast. Kevin Klein, Sigourney Weaver, a young Toby uh, McGuire, young Elijah Wood, young Katie Holmes, a whole bunch of so people. as part of your research, we recently watched that uh, Yeah, film. we recently watched it. I, I have to say it was interesting. It was very it, good. It was very, I thought it was very good. It was very good. I had uh, seen it when it came out, but it was 1997, so it was a long time ago. So, that, so that's kind of a dark film, but it is a Thanksgiving film, and something, there is a redemption that happens in the film so that's why i picked it the second film i picked was called pieces of april and it was from 2003 it starred uh, katie holmes who coincidentally had a small part in the movie the ice storm and she and it was about a young girl who is estranged from her family living in a new york city tenement and apparently, as a she had been very rebellious, uh, you know, there were all types of problems with her. I think she almost set the house on fire, a lot of drug use, et cetera. But her mother is dying. So she uh, decides to have her family come for Thanksgiving dinner. And she, you know, and, and there's a whole bunch of things that happen that are in some ways funny. But they're, they're also kind of sad, too. She tries to, you know, she tries to make this Thanksgiving dinner, and her stove is broken, and she runs all around the a building borrowing people's stoves. But it's really a very charming film. Oliver Platt plays the father. Allison Pill is the sister. It, I think you'll, people will really enjoy it. But the message of family and values is fully communicated in this film and it's really refreshing to see it and and also remembering uh the the character that you're talking about um probably uh is given given a license to remember uh or or being uh incentivized to give thanks to all these people that stepped up in the building that she was living in uh where it was becoming a community out of necessity that she needed all these different stones right. for different reasons. Well, and and there was and yeah. there was a great line which I don't even mention in the article where she go, knocks on the first uh, neighbor's door, and it's a you know it's a black couple and uh, and she's and, and the woman says, "Okay, white privileged girl, how well, what how can I help you with your <laughs> problem?" And then when she she pulls out her ace that her mother's dying of cancer, and she goes uh, and she asks about her mother, and she says, "Yeah, we're really close. We're like best friends." She goes, you don't get along with her at all, do you? And she goes, no. And, she, and suddenly, once she opened up, the the neighbor was willing to help her. And it was, it, was, it was very interesting to see how people reveal themselves. Now, the third film is something that uh, one that everybody will recognize. And people traditionally view it as a Christmas film. It's Miracle on 34th Street. But if you go back and you look at the film... All of the pivotal plot elements actually take place on Thanksgiving. This is the story with the little girl, Natalie Wood, and her mother, Maureen O'Hara, and a Santa Claus, Edmund Gwen, a man who uh, helps the mother out. The mother runs the Macy's Day Parade. You know, that's been around for a long, long time. And the mother runs the Macy's Day Parade, and on the day of uh, the parade, the Santa Claus she had hired shows up for work intoxicated. And this 
man who says his name is Chris Kringle, has got a beard, a real beard, says, okay, he, he offers to step in. And then as a result, she hires him. But the, the issue is, is that he really does believe he's Santa Claus. And and he communicates that, but in the course oh, heck, of... I, I believe he's Santa Claus. Yeah, I believe he's Santa Claus too. But in the course of the film, the mother and the daughter, this you know very young Natalie Wood, who don't believe in anything. The little girl's been socialized to believe that that fairy tales don't exist. Santa Claus doesn't is isn't real. She's a sweet little girl, but she just wants to hear the absolute truth and to have this old man teaching her how to pretend to be a monkey and how to play with other kids is you know fascinating it's, it's, it's right a, when she's been taught uh, otherwise uh and you know just to be is, polite but you know these are just stories you know we can't take stories seriously well and that's that's in a way um in a way okay i'll just bring current day politics yeah. into it this is my beef with globalism is if globalists had their way uh, then we would all be thinking alike. We would all be dreaming alike. We would all be imagining alike. And we would all be believing alike, right? Yeah. And, you know, that movie, Miracle on 34th Street, was put out what year? 1947. 1947. Who, who's the director? You know, I don't remember. I can no, look but, it up. Um, in any case, it's a famous f- film. And to this day, Macy's key slogan is, I believe, right? Uh, they have uh, all kinds of clothing that say, I believe, with a little star on there, right? Yeah, exactly. And I, I used to have this nightshirt. George Seaton was the name of the director. Oh, okay. it, it, it was escaping yeah, that, my that, mind. Yeah, that's not a name. I'm, it's, not a, it's not a name that, you know, but, you know jumps it's, off it's, the page. So it's this, it's, it's this reinventing imagination is the opposite of what Common Core was about. Common Core wants to teach, teach us all how to be zombies. You know, if we cancel culture, if we tear down the statue of Jefferson, like... They did in New York, you know, it's like, you know, Trump was right. Next thing you know, they're going to be tearing down statues of Thomas Jefferson. And sure enough, they did. <laughs> it's crazy, but they did it. And they're changing the name of uh, high school from Washington, George Washington, yeah. to something else. And you're like, you know, uh, I'm a Native American. I sometimes wonder, what the heck am I doing giving thanks to the pilgrims who took our land? But, right. you know... It's all part of American values and traditions that I bought into, that my whole entire family has bought into, despite, you know, some of the ways that they've been treated. And I happen to know some people. Um, There's a photo that is part of our family ancestry that's in the Smithsonian. It's dated 1919. And I actually met every single person and talk with almost every single person, almost every single person that's in that photograph. And they go from 1919, and they were born in the 1800s. And uh, I know that they suffered discrimination. And I know that, but you know what? I'm not going to live my life with uh, anything but gratitude, particularly after this year. And uh, I have a lot to give thanks for. You know, my whole... um, encounter with this health concern of mine uh, uh, gave me pause and helped me really uh, understand that uh, you know that my limits are limitless really um, in the sense that when you start to feel 
defeated or feeling sorry for yourself, you realize you must go on. You have to go on. You, you do go on. And then also, it's like a smack in the head wakes you up. You know, you think you have it bad. Somebody has it even worse. Well, that's and they've been exactly dealing it. with these trials and tribulations and doubts and, and uh, uh, all these different question marks in their head. And, um, you know, so it, it's worth actually standing up and, and trying to help people as much as you can because you never know how tough it, it is on other people. It's a lot tougher. People have it a lot tougher than I had it. And I had the toughest year of my life. Yeah, you did. And, you know, and, yet, and so, you know, I have a lot to be grateful for. But you know what? Globalism uh, stymies, stymies imagination. Well, absolutely. And uh, just to stay, stay with the gratitude theme for one yeah. more moment. Uh, you know, when you talk about the movie Miracle on 34th Street, one of the best lines in the film is, faith is... Um, believing when common sense tells you not to yeah and there's so so in other words sometimes the facts and the things that you see before you are dark but it it, it, faith is it's easy to believe when everything's rosy and everything's wonderful it's easy to be upbeat when things are going your way easy peasy but when (laughs) things are dark when things are difficult that is when we need faith the most and when you were going through that surgery you know, I turned to my faith. You know, I said, he's, you know, and I said, it, things are going to get better. He is going to get better. And you just have to look at it that way. You have to always be optimistic and always build. I mean, I mean, you, you can't be delusional, but you have to always be looking to see what can happen. And if you don't open yourself up to the possibility of things improving or things, you know, becoming wonderful, because we all have moments where things are wonderful, then they don't happen. But but in terms of globalism, uh, the piece that I did write uh, that I did write was a, a review of a book by the former French president Nicolas Sarkozy. And okay, so, this is your third, <laughs> a third article that we're discussing yeah, right now. Yeah, just that you wrote in the last month. Yeah, well, well, the uh, the one about Fitzgerald was written in September and was yeah. published in October, so yeah. that's a while ago. But it just got posted. But the but the Sarkozy article, it's a book he wrote, wrote called Promenade, which means walks. Uh, I should mention that Sarkozy has been a little bit of a controversial figure. He's actually the Only first... Only because he's more conservative. Oh. If he was liberal, he'd be let out, you know, he'd be um, probably not half as targeted, but the globalists hate conservative Values. Well, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And you can also even see some synergies between him and President, former President Trump, because, you know, they both have beautiful, have had beautiful Let's just call lives. Him President Trump. President Trump, yes. Yeah. He'll be back, right? But, it, but in any event, Sarkozy was the uh, first president in French history to receive a prison sentence. And he and which he's serving, you know, which he's serving from home with an electronic bracelet. Jacques Chirac also uh, was um, was accused of corruption, but his sentence was suspended. But he's written this book called Promenades, which is the French word for walks, and it takes its uh, meaning from the walks he took as a grand with his grandfather as a child. And in the book, he talks about art. Uh, you know about you know paintings drawing sculpture music uh cinematography uh literature and the book is actually quite a simple book in the sense that it 
is only 75 pages long. It's and only written in French. It's yes, that's it's the only version. It, it's right. it's only written in French, but you but if you got if you purchased it, you can do Google Translate or Kindle Translates also. The, when I say it's a simple book, I mean it's simple in its format. It is not a simple book because it also includes political messages. And it's a testimony for art, and it's a, and it's also a bit of a peek into the life of Sarkozy. But what I found particularly intriguing about the book, and that's why it's relevant to our show, is that he talk, you know, he brings up the the evils of globalism without calling them the evils of globalism. And, and what he says is, you know, I make the, the here's a line that I say. He posits that a national culture and language is critical to the survival of a nation, with the caveat that the nation's framework is welcoming to those who choose to make a particular country their new home. And I'm going to read this from the book. Pour former une nation digne de ce nom, il faut avoir eu de la chance de lire les mêmes livres, de s'enthousiasme autour de des mêmes films ou séries, d'écouter et de danser au son des mêmes musiques, de fredonner les mêmes chansons. Il n'y a pas de nation pérenne sans une culture commune. To form a nation worthy of its name, it is necessary to have the opportunity to read the same books, get enthusiastic about the same films or series, to listen and dance to the sound of the same music, to hum the same songs. One cannot have a perennial nation without a common culture. And that's very, very true. And, and globalism is an attempt to push us towards getting rid of a common national identity, which is essential because it's our last refuge. It's our last refuge against danger. It's, a la- it's our last refuge against apathy. And that's why um, I decided to uh, bring out these topics about this book, because I thought that these are messages, which, of course, we have loads of people decrying the globalism message, but I felt he said it in a way that I hadn't heard before, and I felt it was worth um, reiterating. So I went on a ski trip to Chamonix, uh, and I ended up spending a couple of days in Paris, and um, this was in 2000, where it was just before globalism and the European Union was really taking off, and I ended up uh, befriending, is that the word for when you meet a... Yeah, befriending. Yeah, uh, Some older guy, guy was about 25 years older than me. Yeah. He knew Fran- French culture like the back of his hand. He just believed in it wholeheartedly. Yeah. And he did not want to end the franc. Nor- neither did I. The translation in terms of the dollar currency was great. It was like the franc had the value of a peso or something, you know, so you could buy your money went further, it seemed like. Um, But in addition to that, he just he didn't want to give up the language. The language is not that necessary. Yeah. It's a romantic language. Yeah. You know, and it's a beautiful language. But nevertheless, you know, a lot of people speak English. Right. In France. And um, so he didn't want to lose the language. He didn't want to lose the culture. He didn't want to lose the nationalism. He didn't want to lose what they inevitably lost. And he was right. He was right. This is before it happened, folks. And he was right when he predicted all the shortcomings of what is now the European Union and what really is a taste of the apple of the forbidden fruit, which is globalism. 
European Union experiment. I mean, this whole thing was guided by um, really an anti-American sentiment. Yeah. Uh, the anti-American sentiment was that they wanted to uh, they wanted to do away with bilateral deals, bilateral trade deals, uh, and it's sort of like Common Core in the sense that Common Core goes to, at the pace of the slowest student. Well, in in one sense, European Union went at the pace of the poorest country, and. Uh, you know, all for one. So a lot of the poor countries were happy to oblige and, and basically pick up the slack. But ultimately, the people that were in charge gained power. Yeah. And that was Angela Merkel. She was a direct benefactor of, you know, and then um, Lagarde, you know, the IMF woman. Yeah, Christine Lagarde. Uh, who, who every one of these people, by the way, every one of these people is pushing vaccine passports or <clears throat> in Italy they're calling it the green pass and it has nothing to do with climate per se although it, it does I think that the whole COVID pass or the vaccine pass or the green pass is very reminiscent of what they've been trying to do for decades with climate why do you think that they were wrong all the time but they would be fear mongering telling you the world was going to come to an end in 10 years. Well, that 10 years has come and gone. They were living in their moment. And people like Al Gore won Oscars as a result of some documentaries that were completely fabricated and false and synthetic. And so, you know, they, don't, they discount notions. They'll show an ice cap that's depreciated over here, but they don't go to the South Pole and show you that uh, there's an ice cap that's fortified over there. You know, that the world is a global one, and it's not just about the North Pole, it's also about the South Pole. And that uh, when they balance it all out, uh, they don't give proper explanation as to whether or not things are cyclical or things are uh, man-driven. And even if they are man-driven, what can we do about it? Yeah. And even if they are man-driven, and you can ask, ask and answer the question, what can we do about it? Why isn't China involved? And uh, why is uh, Europe so poor? You know, President Trump gave a uh, great interview with um, Hannity, uh, basically talking about Rittenhouse and what happened in Wakusha. What, what is it? Wakusha? Kenosha. Keno no. <laughs> no, 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 no. I think it's Kenosha. I'm going to get this once and for all. Waukesha. Waukesha. I thought it was Kenosha. Yeah, no, I know right from wrong. It's Waukesha. And, and uh, Brooks is the... Uh, but what I want to talk about today is going to be about uh, the it's Democrat... It's Kenosha. It's not... No, <laughs> no, it's Waukesha. That's where the guy ran over, you know, the Christmas parade. Oh, that. Okay, yeah. okay. All right. Let's see, yeah, you know, he was talking about Waukesha. As opposed to Kenosha, okay. Yeah, <laughs> Kyle, uh, Kyle Rittenhouse was Kenosha. President Trump was talking about a whole bunch of things. and um, But in any case... Uh, he saw Kyle Rittenhouse at, at Mar-a-Lago. Oh, he did that too. Yeah. yeah, he did that. Well, we just moved on, didn't we? <laughs> we moved on from globalism to whatever. But, yeah, you know, President Trump was all about bilateral trade. Yeah. And he thought he could get the best deal for America through bilateral trade. Naturally, he did get the best deals. Yeah. And he promised 
that the UK, if they follow through with Brexit, will go to the front of the line, not the back of the line, like Obama said. Yeah. See, globalism wields all this power and leverage and control yeah. to, uh, you know, to real monsters, yeah. real, really not nice people like Barack Hussein, you know, who caters to terrorists, yeah. or or the left in general who caters to terrorists. Yeah. Uh, what do you think this guy Brooks is in Waukesha? He was smiling and laughing about his interests in running people over. What kind of madman does that? And you know what I think, too? I think it's very interesting that you have incidents like this happening when people are doing something that makes them happy. And, you know, it's the holiday season, and I don't know the uh, his religion or anything, so I'm not going to speculate on that. But I'm guessing you, it favors <laughs> uh, something more radical than Christianity. Well, or or, or, or I don't or, think he's a Christian, that's for sure. But but the point is is that you see people that are in the middle of a Christmas parade. Yeah, you know, I mean, you to see people edit. He was do, steering in and out of his way to run over maximum to create maximum carnage. Is what well, he did. that's what I'm saying. It's like it's you know you know. How they made these dark movies um i guess they're i haven't seen one in a while but they, they were like noirs. well no i don't mean like those types of movies i'm talking more about the like massacre type movies but they often tied them to holidays yeah well that's what that's like it's like taking it's like you know the you know black christmas or whatever you know coming up with names into where you can make where you ruin something that's supposed to be happy and enriching and turn it into a tragedy and and that's what's in the minds of some of these deranged individuals well or snatching victory out of the uh, snatching defeat out of the claws of victory. victory, yeah, and, and that that is the case with respect to oil prices. Yeah, and we're going to talk a little bit about Hunter Biden today because it turns out that while you know there could be a reason why it is that they wanted to shut down oil and create all this leverage in the oil uh, pressure in the oil markets, and that's because Mr. Artist himself, who sells his art for five hundred thousand dollars, nobody questions or blinks an eye about it. We don't have a journalist in America today that wants to do any kind of investigative reporting on Hunter Biden, uh, despite the laptops and the hookers and the crack and the (laughs) photographs, you know, and the sex tapes. Uh, Despite all of that, they're not curious. You know, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, They still want to talk about Rittenhouse. They're not done with that story yet. And you wonder who's wagging the dog on this story. You know, whether this was somehow controlled uh, by a uh, by a kamikaze pilot, you know there were kamikaze pilots. There are people that will actually uh, martyr themselves and blow themselves yeah. up in a pizzeria uh, for Allah. Um, and who's to say that this person wasn't triggered? Yeah. You know your number is up. Do your thing. Um, but in any case, in Waukesha, 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 not to be confused with Kenosha, right? Right, which is only an hour away. Are these Indian words? I'm a Native American Indian, but... <laughs> oh, you should be better at the pronunciation then, right? <laughs> no, I guess my dad would know. But yeah, of course they are. I'm Gamali Josh and you. But they're a different uh, breed of Indian. Okay. Um, uh, we're, we're, uh, my, uh, tra- my heritage is East Coast Indians. So the words are different? Well, no, I mean, 
we're direct descendants of Pocahontas. I know. And, I know. You showed me. And, uh, you know, we uh, did a lot more business with the pilgrims that settled here rather than the uh, uh, the migration that was taking place or, or the uh, the Eskimos that were coming down from Canada by way of um, Japan, you know, Asian, Asia, right? So there's different flavors, you know. They're, they're just about as far apart yeah. as as any other culture. But Waukesha mass killing suspect, the latest violent criminal unchecked by soft on crime DA. You know, I'm loving Brian Kilmeade for actually bringing up Soros. Do you recall when it was uh, one of those women who was on Outnumbered? Uh, uh, oh, I know. Melissa brought, Francis. Yeah. But somebody brought up Soros. I forget who it was. Oh, I think uh, it was Harris Faulkner. No. No, 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 no. It was uh, Newt Gingrich. Oh, right, and right. Harris Faulkner was blindsided by it. And Newt Gingrich, yeah, that just came to me. And Melissa Francis got upset so about... we don't need to be talking about Soros. This was in the lead-up to the election. Yeah. And she pretty much ruined her career over that. Uh, by I used to like her a lot. Yeah. But she blew it with yeah. this. She blew it. She absolutely blew it. And they were protecting Soros. It was clear as punch. And the only other person chimed in was um, that the other woman that was the press secretary for the State Department, not Jen Psaki, but the other. Oh, one. I know who you mean. Um, yeah. the the one who uh, the one who was in Grant. I think she came from Granville. Yeah, and talking about space. Uh, talking about uh, good jobs program in the Marie Middle Harf. East. Marie Harf. Yeah, Marie Harf. So Marie Harf, of course, agreed with Melissa Francis, right? That's going way back. That's going back into the pre-election, yeah. uh, 2020 election. It wasn't that long ago. But in any case, it wasn't that long ago that they were protecting Soros. And now all of a sudden, Brian Kilmeade is going all over the place with who's funding these DA campaigns. Yeah. You know, in Philadelphia, in, in Waukesha, yeah. and elsewhere. So, Waukesha mass killing suspect, the latest violent criminal, unchecked by soft on crime DA. <clears throat> Inappropriately and dangerously low bail recommendations. Now, Kim Fox is also somebody who's exploited the heck out of this. Kim Fox is friends with um, Kamala Harris, Harris, protected Jesse Smollett, is good friends with the Obamas by way of Tina Chen and, and the uh, Rahm Emanuel. Uh, and his wife's uh, family in Chicago. But Milwaukee County District Attorney John Chisholm has launched an investigation into what he called the inappropriately low bail set for Daryl Brooks Jr., the suspect in the deadly Christmas parade attack in nearby Waukesha, Wisconsin, Sunday afternoon. So the bail recommendation... And this is not consistent with the approach of the... Well, what did he do? I mean, all he did was he beat up his uh, girlfriend, yeah. ran her over ran with a her truck, over. and uh, got $1,000 bail. He, otherwise, he, he, wouldn't have, he wouldn't have been on the streets. He would have been in jail. And these people would have saw their next Christmas and Thanksgiving. But they're, you know, they're now dead or... You know, we just lost another one out of that. Uh, was they're a up child. to six person, yeah. Child. And most of the people were older, but yeah, now there's a child. But I mean, not that any loss of life is not insignificant, you know. 
So this or person... It's not significant, excuse me. This person, um, let's see. Uh, well, this person in 2010, from the moment he was sworn in, Chisholm understood that his radical reimagining of criminal prosecution would result in the loss of innocent lives, but uh, chillingly, he viewed this as necessary sacrifice in 2010. In 2010, the journal Sentinel reviewed Chisholm's deferred prosecution program and found dozens of examples that raised questions about how the program is being implemented. So they basically said, they basically said, that they knew lives would be lost. They knew that this would result in lives lost. Uh, but they did it anyway. That's the sad, sad truth to the whole thing. And uh, we must do better. A lot of these DAs, they're benefiting from uh, Soros money that's basically financing. And if it's not Soros, it's someone just like Soros or someone connected with Soros. But we've learned about this in, since uh, the days of Phil- in Philadelphia, where they had these DAs that were letting people out of jail, not prosecuting crimes. We've seen it uh, play out in Chicago. We've seen it in New York. And all these woke, so-called woke cities. You know, this wokeism is not working out too well. You know, it's it's what has enabled prosecutors to become activists. It's, it's, it's basically our law enforcement. It's what has enabled our FBI to do what they're doing. Look at what our FBI has become. Woke. Look at what our military, they're trying to do with our military. Woke. They want our military be basically one day to turn on the American people. I believe that that's the next step. Just like the FBI has turned on not only the American presidency with regard to Trump, but the FBI has turned on American citizens, whether it's Roger Stone or the people rotting in jail right now in the wake of January 6th rally that was insurrected and infiltrated uh, by FBI agents themselves. We saw FBI agents uh, present trying to stir up and stoke the flames of uh, division in uh, in Kenosha, in Kenosha, Wisconsin. So, you know, the FBI is up to no good. There's no doubt in my mind that the FBI should be dismantled. Everybody should be fired. It can't get any worse, meaning that they're not really solving crime these days anyway. I don't believe that the FBI is that effective. Everywhere they go... Everything they get involved with seems to be something that ends up without, with, a, with a poor outcome. And I, I think that there's a lot more that we can do there to fix these things. But this, this uh, so it says here, is there going to be an individual I divert or I put into treatment program who is going to go out and kill somebody? You bet, Chisholm said. In 2007 interview with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Guaranteed, in fact. I'll guarantee it. It's guaranteed to happen. It does not invalidate the overall approach. So what about this whole thing about one life, Leonor? One life. 
You know, that's what they cite uh, when it comes to uh, borders, uh, the open borders. Yeah. One life. Just what? one life. Just one life. And, and uh, that's what they cite when they talk about uh, the the uh, cash bail and uh, criminal leniency. But yet when it comes to criminal leniency, or even bail for that matter, to the people relate, uh, uh, caught up in the whole January 6th mess, uh, it's crickets. It's, it's two standards of justice. One for Republicans and one for, or one for conservatives, not even conservatives. Because if you support Liz Cheney, you're going to get off. But if you support Donald Trump, you're going to go go down. Yeah. So that's a sad, sad reality that we're living in, is that you're prosecuted for your political beliefs. Right. And we know several people that have lost their jobs because they supported Trump or they didn't like Hillary. And we know people personally where they've been victimized by political discrimination and intolerance from the left. Yeah. It happens all it happens all the time and that's why one of the places where a lot of people go is uh, conservative media and, and and now with the whole vaccine mandates it's creating even more um, issues for people I read this morning that a longtime soap actor uh, Steve Burton who was on general Has- hospital he's uh, an actor uh, I' say in his early, in his early 50s who recently who has been on that show for years and he he you know he got you know he got fired because he didn't want to take the vaccine and he had already had covid well i think they look yeah. at this whole thing uh they had to close down er's in, yeah. in new york city yeah uh i guess now uh if you want to go to the er you you can go to the er and then they'll cart you to the next open er they had to close down er's this is all about saving lives right right this is all about saving lives but if you go to the ER fighting for your life, you have to wait another 15 minutes to get to another ER. How's that about saving lives? Yeah. It's not. It's about, uh, it's, it's about these vaccine passports. The other part that I have a problem with is the vaccine, you get vaccinated. Now you're not even considered vaccinated unless you get the booster. Who's profiting from this? Of course, Pfizer is. Pfizer does a study... It says that adolescents, uh, uh, yeah, adolescents, um, are are uh, the drug is doing great under uh, with adolescent people. Did you know that, Leonor? Yeah, I did hear that. Yeah, and you know why? Because they... adolescents have a hundred percent resolution rate. Yeah, and, and without the vaccine, without the vaccine, <laughs> and you know, so how do and, you how and, do you increase perfection with a vaccine? Well, they say, oh, look, think about this um, more broadly. When you talk about children and adolescents in general, you know how they physically heal more quickly? Yeah. Well, that the same is true if they were to con- contact COVID in any way. They, you know, or come in, you know, come into exposure for it. So Kyle Becker tweeted this out. He says he says in response to the Hill article, Hill magazine says Pfizer says vaccine is 100% effective in adolescents. And then Kyle Bechter says, science says adolescents' natural immune systems are statistically 100% effective at fighting COVID. So naturally, it's going to be 100% effective in adolescents. 
You, you see the little smoke and mirror razzle yes. dazzle. Yeah, doing there's there. smoke and mirror razzle dazzle. Yeah, happening. so it's like choose it. Uh, here's a stick of uh, stick of gum. Yeah. Okay. Now um, give that to every adolescent. I guarantee you, they're never going to get COVID. Yeah. Yeah, they weren't getting it without the stick of gum either. No. But I could then make the argument: Hey, sticks, take a stick of gum a day and keep the COVID away. Yeah. You know what I mean. <laughs> It's crazy. Well, you know, then you'd be drawing an incorrect correlation. (laughs) Absolutely. And there's been study after study. The New York Post writes, Thomas Jefferson's statue removed from City Hall after 187 years. So we're 187 years into this, and all of a sudden we got Jefferson being torn down. All of a sudden Jefferson is offensive. Those are the times that we're in, right? When Trump accurately predicted they would do this, the corrupt Corporate media called him a liar. Cambry writes, they don't want herd immunity. They want herd mentality. Yes, very true. Yeah, they want herd mentality. They want you to think like they think, like we were talking about. How do you get innovation if you all think alike, if you all train alike? How are you going to get a winner and a loser if you all train from the same coach? Right. You know, it's it's absolutely ridiculous uh, to think. It's somehow you're going to achieve excellence by basically recreating Einstein's uh, definition of inter- of, of uh, insanity. You know, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different, different result. result. Yeah, we want different results, and that's the trouble with the medical profession right now. Is it's built on precedence. Everything is built on precedence. Whether it's the judicial system built on precedence, not taking any each case individually, but talking about precedence, whether it makes sense in this case or not, the misinterpretation could be greater than the crime itself in the in the in the sense that you're interpreting that that precedence fits the mold of this crime, and the same might be true with regard to medicine. Statistics say this, trends say that. We're going to follow the, the, the cheat sheet, the trends, whatever, to do our diagnosis. But when you get the diagnosis wrong, what happens? Who suffers? The patient. The vic- it becomes a victim. And uh, that becomes a problem. It's not the caregiver that's, that's the one uh, ending up on the short end of that stick. That's the, the sad truth. So... There's an article that has been written up in the Federalist, and it says, your default assumption should be that everything corporate media says is a lie. The media's deluge of lies about Rittenhouse case is a disturbing reminder that the corporate press lies about everything all the time. Of course, what we try to do here is not really state the obvious. That's obvious. We, That's easy, right? You just turn on each news cycle, news news channel, and you'll get different news. CNN and MSNBC, they don't want to cover uh, <clears throat> the Waukesha. Uh, am I getting it right or wrong? The uh, what? Waukesha, right? Waukesha, it's the fine. The Waukesha Brooks killing, mass murder. Right, they don't want to. They don't want to cover that. You know, some moron. I think a Black Lives Matter guy said this could be the uh, 
the emergence of a revolution yeah. in the wake of the Rittenhouse decision. And again, how in the world does Black Lives Matter see the Rittenhouse thing is it, as a racial case? Except for the fact that they've been watching the wrong news outlets. Yeah. They've been listening to the mainstream media tell you about white privilege and how critical race theory could fix this. And that somehow they're then translating this into race. You know, never mind. Uh, they would say that the guy that inspired the, uh, was it Blake, Blakely? Uh, Blake, Jacob Blake. Jacob Blake is still alive. They, they were saying he's dead. Right. right? And they, they, and they were he, also saying the gun laws in Wisconsin <laughs> Uh, that he was breaking, that Kyle Rittenhouse was breaking the gun laws. He was a, he was legally allowed to carry the, the the type of rifle that he was carrying. I mean, there were a lot there were a lot of lies spread. Well, the question about the mainstream media is when are they going to go broke? Right? We've been talking about well, they can't possibly sustain this forever. When when are the uh, advertisers going to pull the plug? And why do the advertisers never never pull the plug on wokeism? or violence, or, ra- or uh, reverse discrimination, or racism. Because let's face it, uh, what was going on with regard to uh, Brooks and yeah. Waukesha was pure racism. Yeah. He went after white grannies, dancing grannies. Yeah. He went after white children. I mean, I think just about everybody that was taken down was white. And here he is, a black guy. Of course, the mainstream media doesn't want to cover this story. But the story is what it is. And, of course, we know that Black Lives Matter is just a pile of dog poop racists. That's all they <laughs> Tell are. Tell us how you really feel. Yeah. I mean, that's what they are, right? They're just morons. Yeah. They're just plain stupid. And, and they, they're not thinking rationally. And um, anybody that wants to associate with Black Lives Matter is just about as dumb, in my opinion. Um, and that would be, go for the NBA, who, you know, uh, basically doesn't, you know, still is bowing to China uh, over um, a lot of other atrocities going on in the world. If they really cared, they would care less about their bottom line and care more about humanity. You know, how much money do you really need to make before you've made enough? But the question about this media coverage is when, when or when, is it going to be the case where, how do we explain why it is that these corporate media, the corporate, um, corporate multinational corporations, the Fortune 50s, when are they going to pull the plug on advertising dollars? After, when are they going to say enough is enough? Because, see, they already have enough business. They don't even need the American people. Apparently, that's the case. We can't even boycott effectively anymore because they're that powerful. Because they've already achieved global dominance. Uh, They already have access to the China market. And that's what it's all about. It's all about uh, supporting woke liberal values that give them access to their highest, biggest, most important profit margin, which is... Uh, access to slave labor. It's it's what the liberals have been doing with importing slave labor through the open borders, importing refugee slave labor through 
refugee programs at the United Nations. And it's always these same people that have been in charge for, for many, many decades. You know, they're, they're decades and decades and decades into it. They're decades into it. The same people, you'll see the same people in charge. And if they're no longer working, it's because they ended up uh, like Kofi Annan and his son Cujo. Living, you know, well, he's passed now. But, I mean, for a long time they were living large on yachts uh, with their billions of dollars in Swiss accounts. You know, uh, as a thank you for their fraud. And the money came from somewhere. Where did it come from? It came from the middle class American taxpayers that financed and funded that so that people like Barack Obama could write a blank check for like, well, it wasn't even blank. It was $9.6 billion just before he left office. That wasn't the first check that he wrote to the United Nations. And to this day, I ask question all the time, where did you, how did you get here? They always end up like in D.C. And they're from like Ethiopia and they're a nurse or they're a driver. And like, oh, how did you, you know, how long have you been here? Oh, seven years. It's always been about seven years too, by the way. The, the, the number is always very similar. About seven years ago, yeah. How'd you, so how did you get here? What, what made you? Did you have a girl? Did you fall in love? You know, like how things normally happen? No. No, there was a lottery program, a UN lottery program, or some visa lottery program that America was doing. Lottery, my foot, it's not a lottery when everybody wins. Everybody's a winning chicken, chicken, uh, winner dinner or something like that. It's it's not a lottery when everybody wins. And uh, everybody's winning but the American taxpayer. We're footing the bill for all of this crap. It's ridiculous. If we only knew the half of it, we don't even know the half of it. So, there is a, a ample justification for such a posture. It's justified by every single major news story in recent years. The Russian collusion hoax, the origins of the pandemic, the Black Lives Matter riots, Hunter Biden's laptop, the debate over COVID vaccines, the January 6th riot, and especially the recent Kyle Rittenhouse trial, the to name a few. So the way this cues up is the next time you read an article, the New York Times or the Atlantic, watch a bit of breaking news at MSNBC or or a panel on CNN or hear a report on NPR, your default assumption should be that your your reading, watching or hearing is not true. Either it is outright falsehood or a distortion of the facts or not the whole story. That should be your posture toward literally every piece you read. And whether it's these things we just talked about, the riots or Black Lives Matter uh, riots, Russian hoax, all these things were lies told to you by the mainstream media. And in the immediate aftermath of the Kenosha riots, Kenosha, Last summer, Facebook proclaimed that Kyle Rittenhouse had committed mass murder, blocked all searches of his name. He didn't do any of that stuff. They just lie to you. And so basically, you got to ask the question, why? 
of course, they're being financed by the same people as them. They're being financed by the people that see it their way. Jeffrey Zucker sees it their way. Jeffrey Zucker, I mean, Jeffrey, um, I mean, I'm not, not Jeffrey Zucker, Mark Zuckerberg. Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook, or now Meta, which is an insult to our uh, intellect right there. How dare they call it Meta? Meta Metadata is what the NSA used to collect and spy spy data on us. I think that, you know, like I said, I think that Fauci is working with the military apparatus, the CIA and the Pentagon. And I think that he's working on bioweapons. And I think that the people running the country are controlled and dominated by our intelligence community and our military community. And I also think that um, the military is in charge of our cloud-based systems and our metadata collection. And so people like social media, Mark Zuckerberg, Jack Dorsey, are all part of this. You know, that's why they spend so much time in Washington. Even in uh, President Trump's meeting, our interview with Hannity on uh, Tuesday night, uh, basically... uh, you got to say, why are they always in the White House? Because they have so much power, leverage, money. They have influence. And they could change the outcome of elections, which they did. They'll laugh at you at your face and they'll stab you in the back. Smile to your face. And they've done all of this. Uh, but they're benefiting and they're protected. They're a protected class. The Section 230 is not going to go anywhere because, again, they're providing services to our military. Just like Fauci's producing the bioweapon and making things happen there, they're producing metadata collection and they're producing value there. And again, it's all about spying on people, data collection, and where is our Constitution? Our Constitution be damned. But these organizations that have become woke left are protected by our own government. And that, that is a big part and problem with what is what we're seeing and what is going on. That's why they could walk around so cavalierly, fearless. I never forgot like how Hillary just walked around like she knew she was never going going down for her crimes. Arrogance, yeah. And Fauci has that exudes that same thing. I don't know if it's a liberal elite thing that they do that they carry all the way to their death. Or what? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, we didn't hear. We didn't. Uh, your mic was uh, down for for some reason. But in any case, I want to thank everybody for tuning in uh, to the Scott Adams Show. I want to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. And uh, with that, my name's Scott Adams. My name is Leonora Cravota. And we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye bye, everybody. <laughs>